comes Chris Paul. The lob. What's good, everyone? Welcome back to episode two of Showtime. We are Lob City with your co-host Nick Ortiz and the one you just heard, Domilaria Guda, freshman from yes, B. Howard University. You know the vibes. Yes, but, sir. But um, yeah, we're back. Long overdue. Long overdue. We've we've definitely discussed it. It's definitely my fault. I take full responsibility for procrastinating on this. I'm just trying to enjoy my break, but also. We're waiting for you to finally get a mic, and you finally did. So you no longer will sound like you're calling in from your phone. But hey, those things are out the way. We're ready to go. You know what I mean? So for real, bro. Um, back to business. I mean, we might as well just get straight to it because a lot has happened while we've been gone. Um, and I think I think a great starting point is the hottest topic in the league right now, the Brooklyn Nets. You can go ahead and take that one straight away. Yeah, man. So. Unless you've been living under a rock, I'm sure by now you've heard that James Harden is now on the Brooklyn Nets. Um, this trade was absolutely crazy. Houston received like eight first-round picks, a couple pick swaps, um, and then Victor Oladipo because that was a three-team deal. Uh, but our main focus right now is just what Brooklyn looks like now that they have James Harden. Now, for people who don't watch basketball, I don't think y'all understand like how crazy this is, but let me just start to break it down. The Brooklyn Nets have Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and James Harden on the same team. Mm. You could easily argue, right, Nick, that those are the three best ISO players in basketball. Am I right? You can make the argument, and I don't think anyone would, would consider you crazy for that, yeah. Right, right. And defenses everywhere are scared because this is a matchup nightmare. In fact, uh, if I'm not mistaken, either today or tomorrow should be the first time all three of them play together. And we are yet to see exactly what that is going to look like on the floor. But uh, Nick and I have some basic predictions and we have some projections on what we think the offense might look like um, and how we think they should implement this dynamic trio. Because, again, we've never seen these high-level, all-galaxy, talented wing scorers all on the same team before. It's never happened before in the history of basketball. And their coach, Steve Nash, definitely has a huge challenge. So... Let's just let's just start it off. What I've been telling Nick off air for the longest time is that there is only one basketball. And that's the that's one of the biggest criticisms a lot of people have had is oh, can they get their egos out of the way or are they gonna share the ball? Man, forget that, okay? This is winning time. You don't have an opportunity like this often. So these guys are gonna have to sacrifice individual parts of their game if they want to win. We are going to see these three stars do things we've never seen them do before. That means James Harden playing more defense. That means Kyrie being more of a facilitator. And the biggest weapon I think they can utilize outside of KD in the post, which I'll touch into, is James Harden off the ball. Nick, what do you think? So just for context for our listeners, 
we are recording this on the Jan- uh, January twentieth, which mm. is which is projected to be the first game we see this trio play together against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Funny enough, because Jared Allen got traded there. Um, first game backs against his former team, but yeah, I mean, I, it's obviously you touched on the ego thing. For me, it's I think after these two sample games being against uh, Milwaukee and Orlando that James Harden's already played in for the Nets. I, in my opinion, I, I think he's him and KD is a better duo than Kyrie and KD. Just off of two, those two games. Again, it's a very small sample size, but it's my personal opinion. I hear you. But it's, for, for me, I, I don't think James Harden and KD are going to be the problem, if there is a problem, right? I think it'll be Kyrie one because yes, we haven't seen him be a third option ever. Kyrie slander, um, here we go. No, it's not slander. I I just don't think <laughs> I, we we've we've heard from um from Harden already, and he's already shown it that he's willing to commit. He said he wants to make KD the best player he can be, rather than making himself um the priority. Now again, that's mm-hmm. all talk until I see it with Kyrie. But regardless, in, ter- in terms of the actual um performance on the court i would put Kyrie off the ball i would have james facilitate why because james on the pick and roll top of the key with deandre jordan is i picture it like a clint capella back in houston type of uh type of offense that's and a good comparison the way the way james harden operates once he gets below the free throw line is very tricky not necessarily referring to his Euro steps and all his um, fanatics there, but more so his his one-legged and two-legged floaters um, because those are very confusing for the defense, for the big guy especially. We saw it, we saw him manipulate Brooke Lopez um, in that game with that floater um, because you have DeAndre Jordan on the other side of him. You don't know if he's going to lob it. His floater looks like a lob almost because he's barely jumping, and that runner he's deadly with. We saw him cook Milwaukee with. And Kyrie off the ball, um, what that's going to do is have the team's second-best wing defender, guard wing defender, be put on Kyrie. Because if you don't put him, if you don't put their best defender on James, it's going to be very easy for James to get to the rack, what I, what I just explained with that high pick and roll. So you're going to have to put your best defender on James. That means Kyrie's on the wing by himself. If the Nets are smart... You put Kyrie on a wing by himself, KD on a wing by himself. Ideally, Kyrie, let him go to work, have the whole floor to himself. Because KD doesn't really need the whole floor to himself. He can just shoot over the players. But Kyrie, his game style is going around, um, dribble, dribble, dribble. um, And he needs more space to operate with that. So I would put Kyrie off the ball. um, And that's the offense. From a defensive standpoint, um, starting lineups I'm not too concerned with because they have DJ in the middle. But... Once DeAndre Jordan comes out of the game, that's my concern because now you're forced to run a small ball lineup with either KD, maybe Jeff Green at center, or we'll have to see if they trade for a center, sign one off the buyout market. But as of now, they don't have a solidified backup center. And although they were able to pull it off with Milwaukee, that's only because Brooke Lopez isn't, he, he just plays like he's a shooting guard. Like he, he he's, he's on the perimeter. They don't, utilize the inside um, unless it's Giannis and KD's already guarding him. So from a defensive standpoint, we're gonna it's, it's going to be very interesting. I don't have a take yet because I want to see the trio play together, but 
a lot of like the Warriors type of uh, defensive scheme that they use against the Lakers, a lot of switching, switch everything, rotations. That's going to have to be key with Steve Nash at the helm um, and practice leading that. And yeah, uh, I, I want to see, like I said, them play together defensively more than offensively, in my opinion, because I think that's their biggest weakness. But um, I think it's key for success. I think there's more potential for success rather than more potential for disaster with this trio. So, look, I agree with with most of what Nick said. Um, he touched on how Kyrie should be utilized and how he should play more off ball and how that's going to affect KD. I think that there's a couple things matchup-wise Steve Nash um, can exploit if he's careful. One, ask anybody in the league, there hasn't been a solution to Kevin Durant yet whether he's on the block whether he's out on the wing whether he's at the three-point line you can't stop him no matter where he is so regardless of where his position is on the floor it's a mismatch just having Kevin Durant on the floor is a mismatch so if you know that you have two other primary wing talents you put KD on the block you force a double team Right, because as soon as KD has his back to the basket, you either have to send someone right away or someone has to be in the paint and help. In fact, in in the game against Milwaukee that Nick mentioned, Bobby Portis actually got a uh, defensive three three seconds in the key violation because KD was posted up and he was standing there in help waiting for that move. So what that does is have is uh, it creates more space on the wing so that players like Kyrie and James, you set a little down screen, a little pin down action, little elevator doors, a la uh, Mark Jackson on the Warriors with Steph, and suddenly you have incredible mid-range shooters. You have three-point shooters in James, Kyrie, uh, TLC, Shamit, Joe Harris. It's going to, it's going to widen the floor um, they'll be able to utilize more areas of the court. And if they don't send help, you have KD with barbecue chicken in the post. Another thing that I'd love to see is, I think Nick might have touched on this earlier, but the James Harden-Kevin Durant pick and roll is going to be darn near unstoppable. I mean, it's going to look like Luka and Kristaps Przingis. It's going to look like AD and LeBron. With that pick and roll and that dynamic duo and guys who can handle um, and get to the rim and finish through contact, but also shoot over you, step backs, whatnot, that's a very, very hard pick and roll to stop because you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. You don't want to go under. You don't want to blitz. Defensively, it's a nightmare. Um, I think with this team, it's going to be very, very similar to Mike D'Antoni's Houston Rockets, where, funny, he's actually the assistant coach right now on the Nets. Um, It's going to be, their offense is their defense. They are going to be scoring so many points and scoring in bunches that you are either going to have... I think you misphrased it. Their defense is their offense. Yes, sorry, sorry, sorry. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Their defense is their offense. 
their defense is their offense, right? They're going to be scoring so many points and scoring in bunches where you either have to keep up and start shooting threes of your own, right? Or you have to figure out a way to stop them, which, like Nick and I pointed out, it's going to be very, very hard to do when all three of them are on the floor at the same time, especially when they have other players who can contribute. Shamit's a great... Shamit is a great three-point shooter. Joe Harris is one of the best three-point shooters in the league. TLC, the emergence of Bruce Brown, who has been very, very nice from the mid-range and paint area. I mean, they just have a lot of pieces and guys who are hungry to win. So I definitely think that this can work. And Nick and I aren't as skeptical as a lot of other people are because we think that this team and the coaching staff know how to make the right sacrifices in order for the situation to work. And uh, I guess we'll see today. I mean, I I can't wait to turn on the game. If I have time and, and tune in, I can definitely guarantee to all of you fans out there that watching them every night is going to be a show. It's going to be somewhat reminiscent of what we had with Durant, Clay Thompson, and Curry. Every single time they step on the court, um, it's going to be firepower fireworks a lot of dynamic plays highlight reels and honestly hell that's why i watch the nba and hell that's why you should too right uh anything else you want to add nick i think just i want to briefly very quickly talk about the handling of the situation with james Harden, just extremely briefly because it's already passed but um i understand both sides um in terms of boogie and john wall being um, irate with the handling of the situation because let's be honest, Harden handled it like a child, um, not communicating with his teammates. You know, maybe he could have put more effort. But then I, I understand it from his part. He wants to. He at this point in in his career, he wants to win more than anything, and he's willing to sacrifice, um, as he stated. Now again, we'll have to see with the trio, but so far with the duo of him and KD, I think he's lived up to that word. I mean, the Nets are somewhat fortuitous that that. James Harden came into uh, came in to these two games with that mindset. I mean, he came into Brooklyn looking like the heavyweight champion of the world. Um, okay. <laughs> 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 he said he came in there looking like George Foreman, Mike Tyson. I'm dead. <laughs> Clowning. Oh hey, man! Tell Fat me, shaming he... James Harden. We love to see. <laughs> but hey, I don't know if it was a fat soup or not in those in those Houston photos and, and when he was warming up but there I don't know what type of transformation he had in those 48 hours between the two games but if that's how much he's willing to commit I mean I'm not really expecting anything crazy from Harden in terms of oh it's going to be a chemistry disaster yeah um, I don't see that I don't see so, that I think like you said I think at this point, something that KD said really uh, touched me. He said, you know, when we were first together, uh, we were kids. And if y'all remember, uh, Harden and KD actually started their careers together. That trio of KD, Harden, and Westbrook could have been, I mean, Nick and I talk about this off the air all the time. That trio could have been something incredibly special. They could have ran the league, honestly. I I have that much confidence. They were so special and so talented at a young age, but it didn't work out, management issues, and Harden was shipped off to Houston anyway. But now, 
they're back together um and they're grown and they're grown these are grown men and all they want to do is win and uh Kyrie Harden and KD if I'm not mistaken are all over 30 so they know their window's closing and nothing matters more than a championship so I believe that they'll do whatever they have to in order to get it done um so yeah that's what I have to say uh, the Eastern Conference is very exciting right now. There's a lot of cool storylines that we can um, explore and talk about. And one that I definitely wanted to start with are the Chicago Bulls. Now, if y'all were listening in the first episode, uh, I talked about the Bulls a lot. I was very high on the Bulls. Um, and I talked about... The construction of the team, their role players, how they have a lot of talented bench players that, given the right system, how they can complement Zach Levine. And, um, I mean, I don't I don't want to be that guy, but so far, it looks like I was right. Now, you can look at the Bulls' record. If I'm not mistaken, they're looking something like what? Five and five and eight, five and nine, something like that. Losing record, six and you and can eight. say six and eight. Thank six you, sir. Eight, yep. So you can look at that and say, "Oh, the Bulls suck. The Bulls are trash." Da, 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 da. If you're watching the game, the Bulls look like a serious offense. They are a lot more uh, cohesive. The ball is not sticking around. There's no stagnation. Zach Levine has developed, which I'll touch on. Kobe White has become such a great playmaker. And the biggest reason for their emergence as a serious offense that can compete with any team on any given night is the fact that their bench unit, like I said, is loaded. Their bench unit is finally healthy. They have a Thaddeus Young. They have a Denzel Valentine. They have a Daniel Gafford. Um, Otto Porter. These are guys who could be, not great, but solid starters for a lot of good teams. So when you have players who are that productive coming off the bench, it gives their second unit a burst. And for the most part on every night, the Bulls' second unit is better than the opposing team's second unit, right? So what that does is, look, bro, (laughs) multiple times, Nick, correct me if I'm wrong, the Bulls' bench has scored over 50 points as a bench unit. 50 points four times? Really? They have, they currently have, and keep in mind, this is in, this is with Zach Levine, um, who we will touch on, um, especially at the end of the podcast. Stay tuned. But they, with Zach Levine, usage percentage being like 30% or something like that, um, they have nine players averaging double digits. Oh, um, nine? Nine. Correct. Uh, sorry, sorry. Eight. Eight, but still. Eight players averaging double digits. Um, That's crazy. That's crazy, y'all. That's crazy. And that and they still have outside of those eight players: Denzel Valentine, um, Sadoransky, Daniel Gafford, Archie Diakno. And those are names that get overlooked because previous to this uh, to this year, they haven't done anything that will catch the media's eye. But they're all very solid players who, under the right coach, the Billy Donovan hiring, who I touched on um, first episode. They are willing to come together cohesively and contribute to bench success, which is huge. Now, again, like Dom said, they are currently six and eight, but 
and we'll see if they sneak into the uh, to the play in. But I feel like their biggest step for this year is just improvement collectively. And so of far, so, so far they've shown it. Um, they have nothing to hang their heads about. Maybe their late game management could be could be improved a, lot a little better. bit. Um, yeah, bro. The other night against they're OKC, they're young though. They're a young team, bro. They're a young team. No, I'm th- I think this is for more on the coaching. But again, it it, it all comes with with time, time and experience. Yeah. But against OKC, they yeah. choke like a twelve point lead in two minutes and whatnot. Yeah. And, but so, but it's so nothing. what that speaks to. Sorry. Not what that speaks to really, um, you can easily say, well, oh, the Bulls are 6-8 and eight, and you're talking so highly about them and how they're going out and competing every night and how they're giving a lot of good teams a battle and whatnot. Um, in fact, they gave my Lakers a hell of a scare. I, I think we only beat them by like three to five points. That game was really close. But... Their problem isn't really what they do on offense. Their problem is they can't stop anybody defensively. And at the end of the day, if you can't play high-level defense in the NBA, it doesn't matter what you're doing offensively, you won't win a lot of games. Sorry. And that that's their problem. They struggle being able to contain other teams in the paint. They struggle to stop other teams from scoring on them. So although their team is coming together very nicely and they have a lot of talented pieces and and they are building cohesion and camaraderie, their defense is horrible. So that is ultimately why they're losing so many games. And uh, we just hope that the rookie that they got with the fourth pick, Patrick Williams, who we mentioned earlier, we Patrick hope that Star. he can help them. Okay, Patrick Starr. This man always stays with the jokes. This is an NBA player, a professional, sir. Hey, in all seriousness, Patrick Williams has been um has been living up to that fourth pick, um, and he's been uh, he he's been starting in that role, um, and he's been a huge uh, huge success, uh, or a huge contributor to their success. Um, defensively, I just looked it up. They are currently fifteenth in field goals allowed, um, so. Again, middle of the pack, but but um, could be improved because, like you said, that's their biggest weakness right now. Um, but without further ado, I, I think that's – as for the Bulls, we just wanted to touch on that because we were very high, unlike many other people, on <laughs> the Bulls. Um, right, right. So right. I think it was worth mentioning. Just now, a quick outline. Now. Real quick, just a quick outline for the rest of the show um, because I feel like – I forgot to mention in the beginning. But we're going to be transitioning right now into – the Pelicans, but we will also be talking about other Eastern Conference teams like the Hawks and Sixers, teams that we were very high on. We'll talk about the Rockets, the New Look Rockets, and to end it off, this is what um, you should stay tuned for or just um, jump jump straight to. Uh, we're going to be giving our top 10 shooting guards um, as of today. Um, so, but as for the Bulls, I think that's pretty much it. So, Dom, if you want to take it away. Um. Man, I mean, talking about teams with very, very, very poor defenses, we might as well just jump straight right. into the – might as well just jump straight into the Pelicans. I mean, Nick, what's your take, man? Well, the Pelicans, I think it's a very similar situation to last year in terms of them being – a highly talented team, but 
my biggest concern this year is not so much on the defensive end, which is what they struggled with last year, and it's um it's it's more so spacing, um, and I know they hired Stan Van Gundy, who is a very solidified coach in terms of detail oriented and whatnot. Just like, I mean, you hear it all the time from his brother Jeff Van Gundy on the air. He's always pointing out, um, little things on the court. But, anyways. My biggest thing is the Zion and Steven Adams front court. Now, when Steven Adams first got traded to the Pelicans, everyone was super high because Steven Adams has always been a, a one of the most consistent big men in the in the league. He'll give you a double double on any night you need him to. He'll set you screens, he'll hit his little um push shot floaters, and he's one of the strongest guys in the league on in terms of setting picks. So on paper, him paired with another very similar player in terms of strength. Um, Zion and obviously one of the best if not the best young star in the league um, however you want to cut cut the pie that sounds great on paper but but what happens with with that is and what we've seen so far is Steven Adams does not have a mid-range shot and Zion sell, um, it's seldom for him to take outside jumpers as well his bread and butter is going to the rim so when you have those two in the front court with Zion needing the ball there is no space for Zion to operate. I view it as if it's a Ben Simmons Embiid um, type of scenario with Joel Embiid not being able to shoot. You have two guys who would who need to get to the bucket, but they're getting in each other's way. And you combine that with them being one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the league. Their only real shooters are J.J. Redick, who is obviously um, peak of the cop uh, of the crop in terms of shooting in the league. But then Josh Hart is your second best shooter, um, and that's all. That's no disrespect to Josh Hart. It's just that that's not. He's never been on a, on an um, on a team environment where he needs to be utilized so primarily for three pointers, um, and he's already an undersized small forward. So, um, but you can you you have those two factors, um, and then you ultimately look at his, as um, as Lonzo being the X factor because if he can. And he's already start, uh, starting to take steps, but if he can really start knocking down that three-pointer at a consistent clip, it'll open up the spacing um, for Zion to operate because teams are going to have to start respecting Lonzo a little bit more. Um, and last thing before I pass it off, if I'm the Pelicans, while his trade value is still high, I'm trying to get rid of Steven Adams for that exact reason I explained. He is not, again, he's one of the most consistent big men in the league, but he does not fit their, what they need as a team. They need a guy who can space the floor, like a Miles Turner. That would be ideal for them. Um, if they can pull it off, that would be great. I think that gives them more wins. And defensively, too, Miles Turner is amazing, which will help with their defensive woes. But, but yeah, that, that's my take on the Pelicans. I wish they could pull it all together because, like I said, they have so much talent. And Don feels the same way. Yeah, um, the Pelicans are extremely talented, and like like Nick mentioned, Lonzo will be sort of like an X factor because JJ Redick has talked about how Lonzo's actually a decent shooter, and he wants him shooting more and more threes, um, in games, and his mid range stroke is looking better, so. He does need to take that next step. My biggest concern right now is Lonzo's not facilitating how he normally does. His first season with the Lakers, he averaged about 7.2 assists per game. 
Lonzo's vision and passing ability has always been his biggest attribute, his biggest skill, just like his brother LaMelo. Last season, 2019, averaged about seven assists per game. This season, four and a half. That's a problem. If you are not giving Lonzo the ability to see the floor, run in transition, be able to hit guys um, in good spots where they can get their shot off, your offense becomes a lot more slow. It becomes a lot more stagnant. And when you watch the Pelicans, they are stagnant. Brandon Ingram, baby KD, as I like to call him, great player. But he can't be the sole offensive force on, on this team, right? You can't really put the ball in Zion's hands and say, take over the game for me. You feed him inside, let him dominate, but he he can't create from the wing, like Nick was saying, so it limits what he can do offensively, and that's their problem. So they need to find some sort of rhythm, some sort of system. They need to get players more involved in the offense so you have a guy like Lonzo who can feed guys and hit them in wherever spot they're comfortable and start getting better looks so that the offense doesn't look like quicksand. It's sad. This team is really talented. I don't know what they're doing with uh, with Eric Bledsoe. He's he's actually played um, he's played decently this season. I'll give him that. His defense has been very very solid. He's attacking the rim and scoring very nicely. But the from- thing with Bledsoe um, is it's a, it's a very similar situation to Zion. Bledsoe is someone who needs to get to the cup. So. Yeah, exactly. Too many of those guys on the team. Exactly, Um, exactly. They need more shooting and they need more spacing. And, um, right, like the problem is you're you're asking your best playmaker, right? The guy who's the most dynamic with the ball in their hands, Lonzo Ball. You're asking him to be the the new foundation of your three point shooting. Like that's a problem in and of itself. (laughs) <laughs> because although Lonzo could become a good three-point shooter, which I think he can, um, that's not his biggest skill. And I feel like if they try to force him to become a shooter too much, they'll just be taking away from his biggest asset, which is his ability to see the floor and get guys open. So Stan Van Gundy definitely has um, a hell of a challenge and the Pelicans have been disappointing, and I just hope that they can really pick it up because of their talent. Um, but moving on to another situation that's also tricky, going back to the East Coast, we got the Philadelphia 76ers, and uh, they've been pretty successful so far. Nick, wouldn't you say? I mean, I wouldn't consider it much of a challenge as uh, in terms of how it's oh, okay. played out so far. I mean, Dog Rivers is is using it like his bread and butter. Um, Embiid and Simmons, especially, mm-hmm. we'll touch on. Uh, we'll, we'll touch on these two players, Seth Curry, and then the rise of Tyrese Maxey. Um, Dwight Howard has also been a key contributor to the bench. I think he's been a great mentor so far to Joe Embiid. It'll be interesting how him and Danny Green in, implement their championship DNA when it comes uh, to playoff playoff time, but. So far, their success has been 
what the Pelicans need to to take into take into account is spacing. What 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 led to the Sixers um, postseason success about three four years ago, the year before they acquired Jimmy Butler, was shooters. They had, I mean, now Pelican, but previously JJ uh, a previous Sixer JJ Redick, Ersan Ilyasova, Marco Bellinelli, Sarich, mm-hmm. Covington. Yep. If you surround hey, Simmons, if you surround Simmons with, <gasps> and again, those are those are that mid-level great, players. Yo. Those are mid-level players who do their job. You put them on the right scenario. You don't need to pay twenty million for a guy like Jimmy Butler because you have players who operate better in that system. That's why when Jimmy Butler went to Miami, he found much more success because that was the system for his strengths, right? So the Sixers are starting to get back to that with Seth Curry, um, with a Danny Green. Those two being in the starting lineup when healthy together has created the most success for them. Um, and that's that's the reason why they are third in the East. Man, just to just to piggyback off of what Nick was saying, the one thing that you'll probably see us stress um the most is system. System, system, system. Why do we use that word system so much? What the hell does that even mean? There are certain players that casual fans and we'll see people in IG comments on sideline sources and other huge accounts um, talk about, oh, this player is trash because he's not shooting well or this and that. When really, when it comes to the NBA, all these guys are extremely talented. If you make it to the NBA, you are among some of the best players in the world. I don't care if you're a bench player or a starter. You just being there just shows how talented you are. The problem that some players have when it comes to their success or lack thereof has to do with how they're utilized, the coaching staff, and the offensive system for that team. That, more, almost more than talent, dictates player success in the league. And if you watch games and you know different um, offenses, how they're built, how they're constructed, you'll be able to see that more and more. Steph Curry is a great example of what happens when you put a great player in a system that works for them. Now, going back to the Sixers, uh, Nick touched on Seth Curry. And I just I just need y'all to understand something right now. This man, Seth Curry, is having a career year. First and foremost, he was doing this already towards the back end of his days on Dallas, um, being a great spark off the bench and giving them instant offense. And now in a larger role as a starter for the Sixers, you might be able to call me BS on that one. I might have called his production on the first episode as well, but right now he's averaging 17 points. Listen to this, y'all. This man is shooting 60% from the three. This man is shooting 60% from from the three-point range. He's shooting 60% from the field and 60% from three. How does the, how, how? Man, for those of y'all who don't watch the game, that's unreal. That is, those are video game numbers. That's, you can't even do that in 2K. You can't even shoot 60% from three in 2K. You can't shoot 60% from the field in 2k this man is absolutely having a career year um he definitely should be in the three-point contest and in my eyes he's one of the biggest reasons for the success along with the defense of danny green danny green's 
shooting as well, which I don't think Lakers fans gave him enough credit for. But me, as a Lakers fan, I'll always salute to him. And Dwight Howard being a stable presence on the boards and and defensively, which he's been um, his entire career. Tobias Harris has also played extremely well. Um, he's knocking down his shots and scoring a lot more from the mid-range, working very, very nicely in the pick and roll. So Doc Rivers has done an amazing job with this team, getting them to buy in defensively, and now they have the shooters to make that system work. Um, so if they continue to establish this continuity, I don't want to make any lofty projections because the Sixers always do end up doing something horrible in the playoffs, but this may be the year where they finally turn that leaf and start to get things going. We'll see. How far do you have them reaching? Assuming Good. assuming all teams Good are healthy. Question. I don't want to put you on the spot, but I am. Ah, this day. <laughs> He said, I don't want to hoe you, but I will hoe you. <laughs> but I Look. have to. Um, damn, that's a good question, bro. Where do I have them? Where do I have them? Honestly, it's hard to imagine them not being a top five seed. Let me just keep it a buck because their defense has been so. No, no, no. I'm I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about um about seeding. I'm I'm Mm. talking about oh playoff watch. How far? How far they will go in the postseason? Oh, okay. I hear you. I hear you, brother. I'd because I think right. we both we we both have the Nets as a lock. Yes, Nets for are the conference finals. Nets that are locked for the conference that means finals. Milwaukee will most likely be the second seed, and every from from there on, I could see the I could see the Sixers finishing at three. It's a tight race between them and Boston, but I agree. That being said, if assuming okay, let's put it this way: say Boston finishes at four because we don't know how Jason Tatum plays out. Sure. Um, and just assume that this is six, the Sixers' year, like you just mentioned. They right. match up against Milwaukee in the second round. Who's taking that? Because for me, I got the. Sixers. I sincerely think. I sincerely think this could be their year. Now, in terms I of reaching the, the conference finals. Um, I don't think I don't think the Sixers have anyone to stop, um, Embiid, because if you put Giannis on Embiid, or they'll probably put Brook Lopez on Embiid, and that's barbecue chicken. Right. Um, Simmons can match up with Giannis defensively, and if and if um, right. if uh, if Giannis gets past Simmons on the block, you have Embiid in the paint, and although Brook Lopez spaces the floor, that's what. They would have to hone in on defensive rotations, which I think they can because they have the length and Danny Green. They do. Um, and Thibel. Tobias Harris. Thibel. And Thibel. Thibel. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> Thibel, one of the best Thibel. defensive players in the league. Thibel, so correct. I will pick them in, honestly, six. But Yeah, yeah. No, no. I, you know, I was thinking about your question more and more, and I was like, with the way this team is constructed, their biggest – their biggest concern is going to be establishing continuity on the offensive end. That's that's their that's their biggest focus. Just like how um, the Bulls and the Pelicans have to make sure that they key in on defense, 
the Sixers just have to establish a consistent offense that isn't just Joel Embiid carry the entire team. Because offensively, that can work for a game. In a seven-game series, that's not it. So if they figure out a way to be a consistent offensive force, they are definitely going to be a hard team to stop in a seven-game series, especially with their new additions and the amazing shooting of Seth Curry. I'll say it one last time. 60% from the field and 60% from three. That's unheard of. Um, So yeah, I think they have a real shot at having real playoff success. And that's the first time I've said that about the Sixers in like three to four years. So that's real. Moving on. Another team that's kind of on the cusp of emerging as a powerhouse. Going back to the Western Conference we're looking at the Houston Rockets. And this is very interesting because like we started off with our huge headline, um, they lost one of the best players in the league, top 10 for sure, James Harden. But they did get a former all-star shooting guard in Victor Oladipo, who's a better two-way player than James Harden. Uh, plays great. Plays great defensively. Um... A really good playmaker, like James as well. He can shoot the three, score from the mid-range, has a variety of moves from the mid-range, tween, tween, cross, step back. Very, very serviceable player. And now they have John Wall, one of the best passers in the league, one of the best facilitators in the league, floor generals in the league. And, I mean, I don't really have to talk too much about John Wall. He gets to the rim whenever he wants to, attacks relentlessly, another dynamic offensive player. And saving the best for last, they have the emergence of Christian Wood. And it seems like I've been saying this a lot this podcast, but it turns out I was right again. Because if y'all remember in the first episode of the podcast, I talked about how Christian Wood was going to have a breakout year and how I thought that he was going to be an all-star with more exposure in the West. And I mean... If you just take a look at the numbers, I mean, he's averaging almost about 24 and 10 a game out of nowhere. For three years, $41 million, and you're getting almost 25 points and 10 rebounds every game from that guy? Yo, if the Rockets get it together offensively and build a defensive system that works for them, they could make serious noise in the Western Conference. The West is stacked, and it will be difficult, but they have the talent, House, Eric Gordon, um, Ben McLemore. They have guys who can make this work. They have shooters. They have spacers. They have guys who are willing to defend House and Gordon. So I really do think the Rockets can make this work. And the key, in my eyes, is going to be that big three of Christian Wood, who is going to be a first-time All-Star and maybe most improved player of the year, probably, in my eyes. Um, He's going to be one of the best big men in the league in about the next two to three years. Definitely going to be, compared to uh, Anthony Davis and Jokic and Embiid, he's going to be in that conversation of big men. They still have Victor Oladipo, who I mentioned all-star caliber player, and they have John Wall, one of the best point guards in the league. So they have a lot that can really work for them. Um, 
And I'm Nick. I'm interested in hearing how far, assuming they get things together, how far do you think they can go? So I, w- I was going to talk on, talk about that because my question for you, um, I, I, will, I, will oh, say, okay. I, I will still answer your question, but I want to hear this first. He said, Uno, reverse card. I'm flipping reverse the card. script. No, definitely. Definitely. I need it. How do I phrase this? Considering they just got Oladipo and they already have these new offseason acquisitions, I'm assuming they trade BJ, PJ Tucker because I've heard that he doesn't want to. He was very similar to James Harden and just didn't want to buy into the system. But um, considering they have all these new pieces, are you buyers at the deadline and try to lock in and focus on the postseason? Or would you view this year as a continuity year, try and get everyone on the same page and next year really lock in? I'm going with the latter because I feel like chemistry-wise, there's a lot of teams in the West. Uh, the Jazz, because the Nuggets, the, reason the Lakers. I, the reason why I asked that question is because not only am I in agreement with you that I should, I think they should and will pursue the latter, but if that's the case, I don't see them getting past the first round. Um, that's assuming if they qualify. They will make the play, and I still think, but I don't. Even if they make the playoffs, I don't think they get past the first round because they'll be a very low seed. Um. And I, I definitely think they can make it past the first round. I just, I don't, I don't see them moving. I don't see them moving past the second, the first round matchup. Like you said, definitely will depend on seeding. Um, if they, if they get a Denver or, or a Clippers or a Lakers, uh, it might be looking tough. Right. If they but that, get so, lucky. So see, you see those three seeds are, you have to be. Yeah. In yeah, order to avoid right. them, you have to be a fifth seed. And yeah, 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 you're they're, right. They're not a fifth seed. They're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're um, not a fifth seed. <laughs> they're not. They're not. Yeah. So that's that. Um, wait, 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 wait. If they're not, if they're n- wait. Now that I'm thinking about it, you don't think that they can be a five or a six? No. Because no it's going to take no doubt. No doubt. The reason why I say that is because it's already a condensed season, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it's going to take time to develop that chemistry because we know how, especially in the West, that chemistry is crucial to success. And um, I don't know. I, I just have a gut feeling that they're not better than six other teams in the West. That's just me. Okay. Now I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. Don't let's not go on too much of a tangent because we have to keep to time. Right. But if it's not them, who would you have at the five or six right so, now? Real quick, and again, I'm not going to go too in depth. But quick, we quick, should have done quick, this quick, last quick. year. Uh, not last year. Last um, last episode. But I have the Lakers, Goal Clippers, prediction. Nuggets. Um. I have Dallas with KP returning. Right. I have I have Portland above. Dallas them. over Utah? Portland, actually now that I think about it, CJ just got um just got ridiculed with with, with that um or Portland got ridiculed with a CJ injury. He's out for four four weeks. But um That's huge. Especially so that, in a short season. Exactly. But 
I feel like I'm forgetting someone. Um, the Spurs might. Who knows? At this rate, they might. The Suns. I think the Suns are a lo- lock over over Houston. Um, okay, so 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 you have you have the Suns and Utah over Houston, which pushes Houston down to the seven eight seed. Correct. Oh, okay. Okay. Let me. Lakers, Clippers. Um. Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets, Phoenix. Has to be Utah or Dallas, sir. Dallas, that's five. And then this man hates Utah. This man hates Utah. This man gives no respect to Utah. Utah or Golden State. Uh, Golden State. Golden State. Over Houston, yeah. Over Houston. Golden State over Over Houston. Houston. Yes. That's cap to the max. That's cap. We putting another. Are we putting another twenty on it? First of all, first of all, ladies and gentlemen, he only wants to put another twenty on this because (laughs) if y'all were listening the first episode, it's still gonna happen. uh, this man said that that the Warriors would end up better than the Utah Jazz, and me being the sharp basketball mind that I am, I said, absolutely not. There is no way in hell that happens. And if y'all just look at the current standings, I believe the Utah Jazz are second in the Western Conference at they ten are, and hey, four. Not, hey, but they played. Where are the Warriors right now, sir? They played terrible opponents. The Warriors have been playing quality. They played the Clippers. They beat them. They played the Lakers. They beat them. Come on now. The Warriors just wait okay. till they get on that on that on that stretch, where they have okay. light opponents. And but hey, I'm sticking to that bet. But you want to put twenty on it? You want to put another? So another twenty on what? On Warriors what? finishing over Houston. It doesn't matter the seating. They just finish over Houston. Um, we'll get back to that bet. We'll get back. Keep to that. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Table that's fair. that bet. Right, okay. Table that bet. Table that bet. I'll use I'll use I'll use the stripper money that Houston le- uh, that James Harden left behind in Houston. <laughs> the stripper money. Um, and 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 use that towards my bet. Um, Brooklyn got a huge um, income and revenue from James Harden um, off the court. We'll leave it at that. I'm not going to go too much more in depth. But <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Tra- transitioning. Back, transition back to the news back to the business back to the news, you're right atlanta so, um yeah go uh, ahead atlanta go ahead, is a team again if you were here for the first first pod uh appreciate that but um they were a team that we were very high on still still are high on despite their slumps um but yeah like like i just mentioned they they they, they haven't been living up to the success we thought but um yes although bogdanovich and and gallo are injured um, there has been bright spots. DeAndre Hunter has been a huge step up for that team, um, both defensively and offensively. Um, now well, we're going to have to wait and see until Bogdanovich and Gallo come back. But as of now, they're six and seven. And yeah, that that's, I guess the, the key with this team is to stay patient. Yeah, so the key is definitely patience because at the end of the day, with a young team, you can make all the projections and laud them all you want um, because of their talent, but there's a lot of growing pains that come with being a young team. And you can have all the talent in the world, but you still have to learn how to win. What does winning basketball look like? And that's what every single young team has to figure out. Whether it's the Wizards, whether it's the Pelicans, whether it's the Bulls, you have to figure out what do we have to do to win every single night. And for the Hawks, defensively, they suck. They suck. 
outside of a outside of a few solid wing defenders, um, the Hawks just aren't there. <laughs> They're not there, and part of that has to do with Trey. So far, at least, right now, what you're seeing is. They don't have a lot of guys who can shot create. They have spot-up shooters. They have guys who you get them in the right spot, you feed him the ball, he'll score, knock it down, that's great. But the problem is Trey always has to have the ball in his hands for that offense to work all the time. And in fact, John Collins, one of their, one of their uh, stars, who last season I'm pretty sure was averaging like 21 rebounds, sorry, 21 points and like 10 rebounds, something like that. Um, played very well. He hasn't really, you know, been at that peak this season. And part of his complaint has been that the offense is centered too much around Trey. And it is. And Trey's, Trey's a bit young to have to carry an entire offense the way he kind of has to in order for them to be in games. So they have to find an offense that's more team-oriented, that allows guys to be more fluid with their games, that allows guys to utilize their offensive talent and what they do well and get them the ball in spots um, that works for them. So that means giving John Collins the ball more on the post. That means more lob action um, and more post-up work with Clint Capella. That means maybe letting... Hunter go one-on-one -on -one a bit more because he's very explosive, can get by you with that quick first step and easily get to the rim. And then they have uh, Kevin, Kevin Huerter, um, who's also really, really, really solid, can knock down the three, and he's very, very nice off the dribble, can get into the paint, very, very nice mid-range stroke. So they need to utilize that talent more instead of always having the ball in Trey's hands because it leads to a lot of stagnation on the offensive end, a lack of fluidity, and that's why they've been struggling. Um, it has been disappointing to watch, but I definitely think that they can turn it around. Um, Nick, do you have any any closing thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think there's too much to say besides, like I mentioned, patience. Patience with this team is going to be huge, especially with that Trey Young factor. Honestly, I'm going to be very curious to see if they're buyers at the deadline, um, see if they try and ship off someone maybe like John Collins. I've been talking about this with Dom, but John Collins on the Cavs would be my, as a fan of basketball, I would love to see that. Um, I'm not going to go too much in depth, but just him with their young core that they've already established would be would be great to see. Um, and if they could get a, a veteran like Kevin Love um, in return, that'd be great for that team, but we're going to have to see. So I think that pretty much covers up everything that we wanted to talk about in terms of the headlines. Um, just for our listeners to be aware of, of, you know, just things related to this pod, we will be starting um, or creating our own separate social um, social media account on Instagram for or strictly designated to this pod. We will probably have that in episode four, roughly. So just just. Be aware, be aware of that to come. And Dom, you have anything else to say? Nah, like like Nick said, uh, you know, thank you all for listening right now. Thank you all for being here because you know 
without y'all i mean none of the stuff that we do has any meaning i i cannot stress that enough uh but yeah like he said be on the lookout we got some things in store you know Nick and I are are two very driven and ambitious people, and we definitely have some goals, and we think that we can take this podcast to new heights, and we we have some moves that we're planning to do that. So keep on listening, keep on tuning in, and we will continue providing y'all with absolutely amazing basketball content because we are superstars, and that's what we do. You feel me? Um... We are the best in the business. We will continue proving that with every single episode. And with that, I'm Dom. My man Nick was with me here today, and we signing off. Peace. Ooh, I'm switching lanes like a road rage. How could you switch and just listen to the names? They tell the lies, but they know that it's a shame. Yeah, that's cow. Ooh, please don't give it for the fame.